Well, hello there, and welcome to this Calvary Longview audio message. We're so glad you've chosen to take a moment to discover with us the truth that can be found in the Bible, and we pray that you'll be blessed by what you hear. Today, Pastor Al is going to be sharing with us a message from the book of Jeremiah. We can't wait to get into God's Word, so crack open your Bible, grab your note-taking tools, and we'll get started. Jeremiah chapter 11, and if you need a Bible, raise your hand and uh, the ushers will come and give you a Bible. And we're going to look at two chapters tonight, both chapters 11 and 12. We're going to dive right into it. Christmas sweater Sunday. Yeah. Well, here we are. Jeremiah has finished the address on the temple, the steps of the temple. He's now moving in this area to where the Lord is going to tell him to speak to uh, the men of Judah, reminding them of the covenant. This is where he's going to start off, reminding them of the covenant that he made with them. And, And that's important. I think the importance of being reminded, what has God done for us? You know, what has he done for us? He's done everything for us. He's given us life. But here he's going to talk about, uh, the children of Israel, the covenant he's made with them. And Jeremiah, when he's going through this, he's going through this uh, time with the Lord being faithful and what the Lord has called him to do. And you can almost feel, in a sense, the weariness that he has at times. He goes in and out of this weariness, uh, hearing or, you know, being faithful to give, uh, being faithful to the Lord to give the people of, of Judah the words that the Lord is sharing with him. And he's doing this, you know, again, just the weariness drawing on him. You know, just like your kids. You ever get tired of telling your kids the same thing over and over and over again? It's a couple of you, yeah. <laughs> well, imagine this when Jeremiah is speaking to grown people, you know. And here they are, they should have an answer. They should they should be ready to to, to respond promptly and accurately and, you know, so look at verse 1, chapter 11, verse 1. We're going to look at, well, we'll break it down. Look at the the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Uh, the word came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Hear the words of this covenant and speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and say to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Cursed is the man who does not obey the words of this covenant, which I commanded your fathers in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt from the iron furnace, saying, Obey my voice and do according to all that I command you. And then for the purpose of, so shall you be my people and I will be your God. This is God's heart. He saved them out of the land of Egypt. He had a bigger picture of all of mankind involved, that he wanted to save all of mankind. So he sees there's Israel down there, the promise to Abram years before. And then it comes to, uh, as the children of Israel are struggling, they're in Egypt, and he's going to deliver them out of that bondage. He's going to bring them into the, you know, through the the um, the deliverance that he had for them into the land. But, you know, he, so that they would be his people and that he, they, uh, he might be their God. It's just, this is the purpose. And if you think about Judah here being reminded of what the Lord has done, this covenant is very much like a marriage covenant, but they're having to be reminded. We have a wedding ring. Those of you who are married, you have a wedding ring. It's a reminder, right? Where whether you and I say this in a lot of weddings that that officiate at whether you're together or apart, the wedding ring is a reminder that you have made a covenant. Well, God is sharing that covenant once again. The old the Old Testament covenant, the New Testament covenant as well. 
They've both been made by God. And, and speaking of the Old Testament covenant, the, um, the people would express their relationship in accepting the covenant by their obedience. You, you can tell that's the, the desire for God was that he would see not sacrifice, but that obedience would come from their lives. And, and I'll tell you, so, so this, this thing you've got to trust. You've got to trust the one. You've got to trust the Lord. And this was the problem because it's hard to obey somebody you can't trust. And it's hard to trust somebody you don't know. And this is the, the problem. I mean, they had the word of God and, you know, they neglected that relationship with him. And so how are they going to continue in this relationship? And, and then you go from generation to generation that we see the word of God had been removed from the people of Israel. So how are, they, how are the people going to trust them? They don't know them. And they're not, they're, everything is just like song and dance. It's repetitive. It's, it's because. It's ritualistic. It's religious works. That's what it's become. Going through the motions. And there's nothing about the relationship. There's nothing about, oh, this is what it's all about. And we have to be careful that we don't fall into that trap as well, right? We don't fall into the trap to where we're going through these religious steps. Well, here again, we have to know the one that we trust. We want to know God. We want, we have his word. And here with Judah, along with Israel, they had all uh, walked away from the Lord and they turned to idols. This is what they substituted their relationship with the Lord with idols. And uh, they were portrayed by the nations around them. And in verse 3 says, Cursed again is the man who does not obey. He's living a life of disobedience. And you think about obedience as a common thread through all of life, is it not? I mean, you see a uh, 45 miles an hour sign, and curses the man or the woman who doesn't do 45 miles an hour. They're over, you know, 55 years. Curses that man or that woman because they get a ticket. And it's not to the policeman's ball. It's a ticket for being disobedient and, and so forth. So it applies the same thing with our children. We usually want to bless our children in obedience and we encourage them to obey. Hey, obey, you know, it's, that's what you want to do. Clean your room, make sure your room is clean, whatever the case may be. And, and you know, we'll bless them or they'll have times of blessing, but then times of difficulties come when we're not living in obedience. And so this thing of blessing and obedience, it's a common thing. Uh, you know, obedience and disobedience, it's a common thing in life. It applies in a lot of aspects of life, but this is taken from Deuteronomy chapter 28, the blessing and cursing chapter. He would say, it says, blessed is the man who obeys, and then again it goes the second half of that is cursed is the man who doesn't obey. And basically, again, they left long ago their desire to, to live in obedience. What the Lord had said, they've left that long ago, but they're being reminded of this. Hey, you know what? Cursed is the man who does not obey. Do you remember that? And what's interesting about that is because the tribes of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 27, it points this out, that they would be broken into two groups and some of the tribes would be up on Mount Sinai or God, they'd meet with Mount, uh, God on, on Mount Sinai. Some of the people would go to Mount Gerizim and some of the people would go up on, on the Mount Ebal and, and some of the, the troops or the tribes would say the cursing and some of them would say the blessing. As a matter of fact, I'll read it to you in Deuteronomy 27 verse 11. It says, and Moses commanded the people on the same day saying, these shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people. When you have crossed over the Jordan, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin, and these shall stand on Mount Ebal to curse 
Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. And the Levites shall speak with a loud voice and say to all the men of Israel, Cursed is the one who makes a carved or molded image in abomination to the Lord, uh, the works of the hands of the craftsmen, and set it up in secret. They should have remembered this. It was a common thing to where they would they would shout the blessing and the cursing, and they would tell one another these things. You know, I remember when I went to the East Coast Pastors Conference, and you can Google this on YouTube, and I think I showed it once a couple years ago. But at the end of every conference, Pastor Joe has the men. There's fifteen or fourteen hundred men in this barn, whatever it is, and can you imagine? Maybe eleven hundred. Men singing out to the Lord. The only the only thing they have there is a guy and a guitar and another male vocal. That's it. No band, no nothing like that. And and what they do at the end is they face one another. They split it right down the end. And this group will face that way. This group will face this way. And this group will say uh, something in a sense to them. It'll, it, the, the song that they sing, and it's like you know. Uh, don't you forget that it's by the goodness of God. It's not the song I'm thinking of, but it's an encouragement. And then they sing it back to them, and then they're singing it together. It's about the grace of God. And then you would come back again. I remember Pastor Chuck at the pastor's conferences would always, most always open up with a thing where he would say, you know, I'm glad to see you're here this, this year, but they're, I'm saddened that some aren't here. Because it was disobedience. So as the men would gather together and they would, you know, by the grace of God, we're here. And they would sing and they would kind of hold up their hands, pronouncing a blessing on, on the other side of the congregation. These guys would sing it back. They'd sing it to it. It's a powerful way to go. But it's that reminder. You had grown men, tears running down their face. A reminder how good God is. And then again here, we, you and I who are blood washed, we've been born again saved by the grace of God, Jesus Christ paid for our sins, we're to live in, in, in obedience, never in such of disobedience. You see this kind of that warning, I think Paul wrote to the Corinthians, and he says, um, you know, the, the uh, Jews, the, they, they were, these things were written, these warnings that were written in 1 Corinthians 10, they were written for our example, for our, our warning, that we should not do as they did. You know, we, should, we shouldn't live in that manner. We, you know, we've got to be careful in that. And, and we've been bought with a price. We're new. I mean, I look at a world out there so messed up. And we should be, in, in a sense, we should just be shining forth the goodness of God every day in our lives. Not having to be reminded, but being reminded at the same time as we get into his word, as we fellowship together. We're reminding ourselves, even. But Elaine and I were driving down the road Monday. Monday, I celebrated my 30th anniversary, my 30th birthday. I'm only 30 years old, for those of you who didn't know that. 30 years of being in, in, in the Lord, being born again. Wonderful. We were crying because of the, the, the change that that's brought our family. Without God's grace, coming into our family, we're masked, we're not together, we're jacked up, we're just, we're out. Remembering those things. Remembering what God is, the goodness of God. And so in verse 3, the Lord reminds us, um, or reminds them where they've been delivered from. It was from the iron, the iron furnace of Egypt. I mean, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter how much the world had to offer, how good Egypt may have looked to them. No, it was, you know, the end of all was, it was an iron furnace, man. You weren't getting out of it. It was a mess and it only had an e eternal mess attached to it. 
in, in Egypt, you know, it's never going to be worth what it has to offer. It may, you know, say that, oh yeah, they might have remembered the garlic and the, the onions and all this stuff and all the goodness that it had to offer. But it was false advertisement in its finest. It was never going to satisfy mankind. It was never going to satisfy our hearts. The world has nothing to satisfy our, us. We live in this world, but we're not of this world. We're passing through, citizens of heaven. And don't ever forget that, where you've been delivered from, remembering the grace of God that has come into our lives, the covenant that we have. And no matter how bright or how appealing, how wonderful, or how you know the, the world portrays itself, it's never worth what the Lord has for us. Nor is it ever worth what the Lord is he offers to his people. He, that's what he desires. So look at verse 5. Because the Lord had made this covenant with them so that, verse 5 says, that I might establish the oath which I have sworn to your fathers to give them a, a, a land flowing with milk and honey as it is this day. And I answered and said, so be it. Or amen, Lord. The land flowing with milk and honey, it's characterized uh, of this uh, land of fertility. This land of, you know, the, the promised land is just going to be fruitful. When they first moved in, the Jews first moved in here in 1948, or moved back to their country, it was a mess. It was barren. When we were there, I think it was in February, the second trip we took there a couple of years back. And when we went there, it's like, how could anything come out of this? I mean, it's like the land is barren. But it has this supernatural pollination, this, this thing that just works to bring life to it. The rain's coming all of a sudden from nowhere. You have this wonderful, these fruits and these flowers are just incredible. And that's that land that they were, that, that they were promised to them. Now, for those of you who are planning on going in November, you're going to be able to taste those fruits. There's a sales tip. There's the punch. You'll be able to taste and it's well worth it. Seeing the food that's over there, seeing the things that are over there. It's just incredible. But nobody would ever think that this land would able would be able to produce such goods as they do today. And then look at verse 6 because um, it says, Then the Lord said to me, so here's the Lord again speaking to Jeremiah, Proclaim all these words in the city of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, saying, Hear the words of this covenant and do them. For I earnestly exhort, exhorted your fathers in the day I brought them up out of the land of Egypt until this day, rising early and exhorting, saying, Obey my voice. Yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but everyone followed the dictates of, the, of his evil heart. Therefore, I will bring upon them all the words of this covenant, which I commanded them to do, but which they have not done. So here Jeremiah was to proclaim all of these words, not some of them. Not some of them, but he was to proclaim all of these words to those who were in the city and on the streets, going to highways and byways, on every man, woman, and child to hear this. Every bit of it, leave nothing out. Not just what Jeremiah may have felt was necessary, but everything, the full counsel of God's word. You know, bring every, bring forth every word that I'm telling you to tell them, Jeremiah. And the word was to everyone, again, it was to the, um, to those in the city, those in the streets, to everyone, the Lord wanted to hear this. He had something that he wanted to share with them. And they were not only to hear it, but they were to respond. I mean, that's key. To respond to the things that they're hearing. Respond to it. I mean, when God gets a hold of our hearts, when he speaks to us, it's one thing to hear, but it's another thing to do. And that's where, you know, you hear people saying, well, I don't really get it. Or, you know, I get it up here, but they don't get it here. They miss it by 18 inches. And how do you do that is when you hear it, you just start doing it. 
It's when you get your heart involved in it. You start doing what you're hearing. And so the Lord wants them to not only hear, but to do what the covenant proclaimed. And James reminds us of that, doesn't he? When he says, not only be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. So we want to exercise our faith by the things that God is telling us to do. We want to exercise the things that he has for us. And so if we don't do what the Bible says, then how are we going to be able to know what to do? If we don't know what the Bible says, we're not in the word. So we, we get into the word and we hear the word, we read the word, because I want to know what, what it is God's speaking in my heart about. I'm sure all of you do. You want to hear what it is. What is it that God has for us? And so I don't know if we, or if we don't know what the Bible says about God, then we just, you know, make up God in our image. And some of you have heard that. Well, God helps those who helps themselves kind of thing. And it's not in the, but where is that in the Bible? Or they say, well, this is what I believe. Well, uh uh-oh, you're in trouble there. How do you substantiate what you believe? You see, when it happens, when when it happens that people are doing that, you know, they're taking, well, this is what I believe, or this, it's what they want to believe. And really, um, when it happens, they really reduce him to an idol and, and formed with their own hands because they're becoming the creator and they're creating God in their image. That's not the way it should be. He's created us. And so he says, I want you to take these words out so the people might hear them and do them. And verse 8 reminds us that they refuse to obey and in return they follow the dictates of their own hearts. It's not good. But I'll tell you something, I look at my own heart. At times I look at my own heart and say, well, there's some, I, if I did what I wanted to do, I'd be in trouble. My wife would be in trouble. We'd all be in trouble. <laughs> but we have to make sure that our hearts are just ministered to by the word of God. I mean, we need God's word. The Bible tells us that the heart of man is wicked continually. And I need God's word in, God's input in my life on a daily basis. And I think each of us does. On Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 24, it says, he says, this says, yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but followed the counsels and the dictates of their evil hearts, and they went backwards and not forwards. And so there's this thing about moving forward with the Lord. Look, I don't have to feel like I'm walking on fluffy clouds to be on fire for the Lord. I know that there's times where it's going to be difficult, we're in a plowing field, even a field of my own hearts, but we have to want to go forward. I want to go backwards. There's nothing back there I want. And nothing back there I need. And so we're to have these open ears. And, and not only this open ears, but the hearing, but the obedient part. To, to have a desire to have that obedience to the word of God. Now I think how open are we to the changes? See, when we hear what God wants of us, then we have to respond to that. Sometimes it's not the easiest thing to do, right? It's not the easiest thing to do to respond because we have this flesh. It's prideful. But what God says, that's what we just want to do. I just want to cling on to that. I want to grab hold of it. Lord, what do you have for me? And I want to, I don't want to have these ears that are blocked up or a mind that thinks I know it all because I'm far from that. And I know my heart is bent on wanting to do what it wants to do a lot of times. So I need God's input. We need God's input. And then we want to follow him, not only follow him, but then do the things that he's asking of us to do. And when it comes to him, you know, he comes to the Lord, you think about this. He has this desire to speak to us as a child. He has, I can still picture this day. wasn't walking with the Lord, but my daughter was two years old. And I, w- I remember her getting in trouble. I don't know what she did. She, she was a bad two-year-old, bad two-year-old. But she got in trouble. I'll never forget bouncing her on my knee and just talking to her as a father with a child. Just bouncing her on my knee. 
you know, and giving her the one-twos of life. This is not the way you should do it, you know. God wants to speak to us as well. He wants to, He wants us to to be, have this conversation with Him. And, he, and there's times when He speaks to us, He wants to, to warn us. Hey, I wouldn't do this. I wouldn't go there. I wouldn't want that. But He may want to rebuke us or encourage us or remind us or... You know what? That he's always with us. I mean, there's some times when I need to hear that. I was just going over a passage yesterday. I knew where it was. And, I, and the Lord was speaking to my heart. And I was just going through some things. And, you know, and, and I just went right to that passage. And I reread it and reread it. And it had been a passage that I had crossed over in my devotional time, you know, a week earlier. But I knew that I needed it again for that day. I knew I needed to remind, refresh myself. Lord, this is your word to me. So important. But there's times that he reminds us that he's always with us. He always loves us. He'll never leave us. We need to hear that. And, and then we need to be open and ready to receive what he has to say. It's called faith, taking him by faith, walking by faith, trusting him. And so we go to that point of, you know, hearing that that covenant that they had was broken. They broke it. It wasn't God breaking it. And then, and then look at, at verse 9 because we have this conspiracy. And the, it, it, look, it says, and the Lord said to me, a conspiracy has been found among the men of Judah and among the inhabitants of Jerusalem. They have turned back to the iniquities of their forefathers who refused to hear my word. And they have gone after the other gods to serve them. Uh, the house of Israel and the house of Judah have broken my covenant, which I made with their fathers. I mean, isn't this so needed to be heard today? We've got to be careful in this. Here we have... So many like Israel and Judah that have turned away from God who rescued them from Egypt, given them their word, given them the covenant. Here's what I, I've done everything for you. But yet they've turned from following him. They've, they've turned from uh, hearing him. They're no longer hearing his voice and what he has to say. I don't know if many think that they're smarter than he is or they got, you know, I got this handled. But in return of God, in return of God Almighty, who's in, 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 in the New Testament stuff, now he's given himself, he's given them a covenant, but he's given us, I'm thinking about you and I, in return of what he's done for us and given to us, you know, just the caution of going out, prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love. I mean, I get that. My, the, the, our hearts are just like, we get squirrel on every corner. <laughs> but, it was the people, and he reiterates that, it was the people, and it always is the people that breaks the covenant. It's not God. He's faithful. And he's long-suffering. He's waiting for people, and he's waiting for their ears to be open, their hearts to be open. He's wanting that. And his desire, too, is even the world today that none would perish, right? That all would come to repentance. And these, these are a people that who once walked with him, but they're now they're backsliders. They've once known of him. They were taught all the, th you know, the things of the, the, the Torah, the Old Testament. They're taught of the, these things, but it became ritualistic. And they have the word, but refuse to listen. They have God who longed for them to return to him, but they, you know, turned it, they just turned their backs to him and they walked away from him. And amongst the people, there was a conspiracy to abandon the covenant. I mean, this is what it's like that God made with them. The people are getting together. Let's do this. Remember, they said uh, a couple of times, you know, there was a, one king would do this. And then the time Moses went up on the mountain, they said, well, let's just build a cow. We'll bring all your gold articles here. We're going to build a cow. It's a guy, cow that delivered us. from. I mean, come on. Are you serious? A conspiracy. Oh, it sounds right. Well, the people are behind it. 
let's just do it. Let's get behind it. You know, and people oftentimes do do this when they, they allow compromise to settle in. And compromise is a thing that, uh, you know, is a gateway that leads to lukewarmness. And then lukewarmness, all of a sudden there's abandonment totally. Because there's not that fervent desire to walk with the Lord. And there needs to be repentance and a turning back. People have this idea that this is the way, we, you know, they turn from him. You think about today. I want to caution you on this. It's something, I don't know whether it's, I'm not saying this is from the Lord. It's probably from me, but I, I'll, I'll spit it out there anyway. There's a caution when even Christian leadership in, in the political world, let me, let me just say this. I think it's the best thing ever happened, but, but listen. We have to be careful on what their theology is. Because we have Christians that are, you know, running for Congress and stuff like that, and we're going to run for president last time, that hold to the dominion theology. You know what that is? We're going to Christianize this world by force if we have to. You're talking about crusades again. So we're thinking, yeah, we're Christians, and we're all together. And so there's this conspiracy that's out there. It's a theological doctrine that says that we're going to Christianize the world, and if we use force, we'll do that if we have to. It's kind of interesting, is it not? I mean, so what do you do? Yeah, I'm a Christian, born again, I'm walking with him, believe in Jesus, yep, yep, well, how come this guy, you voted for him? I mean, it's just theology is so stinking important. What do you believe in the end times? I don't want to, you know, bringing on reform is never going to Christianize the world. You can't force anybody to come to Jesus and walk with Jesus. But I'm just saying that to where we we gotta we gotta be careful and 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 I hope many Christians get into the political realm. We need that, but they've got to have solid doctrine. They've got to have this thing on praying for Jesus, hoping in Jesus, and praying, "Come quickly, Lord Jesus." And then the pending curse. I'll get off my soapbox. Verse eleven. Look at what he says. He said, "Therefore." Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will surely bring calamity on them uh, when they will not be able to escape. And though they cry out to me, I will not listen to them. Then the cities of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem will go and cry out to their gods. You know, go and cry out to your gods. They're not going to help. He says, They will cry out to their gods to whom they offer incense, but they will not save. They will not save them at all in the time of their troubles because they can't save them. There's these wooden idols. Remember they had to put nails in them to get them so they wouldn't fall over? Don't go anywhere, God. Stay right there. This is pretty much what they're doing. And he says, you know what? He says, um, but they will not save them at all in the time of trouble. For, verse 13, according to the numbers of your cities were your gods. So uh, there were some that say there were 37 cities in the jurisdiction out, out here. 37 cities, so they have 37 gods that they're calling upon. You got a headache, you got a headache, God. You got a toothache, you got a toothache, God. You got, you know, whatever you got, whatever it is. They have 37 gods about out to. Oh, Judah, and according to the number of the streets of Jerusalem, you have set up altars. They're like 7-Elevens. Not up here. Starbucks. There, you got your attention. The number of streets in Jerusalem, you have set up altars to the shameful things, altars to burn incense to Baal. So do not pray for this people, the Lord says, or lift up a cry of prayer uh, for them, for I will not hear them in the time when they cry out to me because of their troubles. It's a pretty sad statement. 
The God in whom they trusted in would be of no value. The gods in whom they trusted in would be of no value. They're not going to be able to deliver them. I mean, I couldn't imagine this. The, the, the reduction to when you have the relationship with a powerful God, the creator of the universe, and all of a sudden you're next worshiping this little wooden idol that you created or somebody's created, somebody has some artistic design in them, and then they created it and you're, now you're worshiping that. And these people, their sins were so persistent that God commanded Jeremiah, he says, don't even pray for them. I mean, I've just, I've just, I've, I've had it with them right now. And because he wasn't going to listen to their prayers for deliverance in, 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 in their time of distress, so he's just saying, you know what? I don't want to hear it right now. I'm just not going to hear it. I think of uh, William R. Ingie, uh, he was a dean of St. Paul Cathedral who wrote this in the outspoken essay of 1922. He says, we are always sowing our future. We are always reaping our past. And then somebody said, he might add, and we cannot escape the harvest. You see, the Bible says, as you guys know this, in Galatians chapter 6, he says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man soweth, that he will also reap. That's what they're reaping. The children of Judah are reaping these things. They're calling upon God. The gods aren't moving. They're not going to be able to do anything. The psalmist says, again, they have ears they do not hear, eyes they have but they do not see, mouths they have they do not speak, and those who make them are like them. They're dumb. In verse 14, the Lord tells Jeremiah to not even pray for them. And in verse 15, he tells them why. What is my beloved to do in my house? Having done lewd deeds with many, and the holy flesh has passed from you. When you do deliver, then you rejoice. Or when, excuse me, when you do evil, then you rejoice. And the, the Lord called your name. Green olive tree, lovely and good fruits is describing his love for them. With the noise of a great tumult, he has kindled fire on it, and its branches are broken. For the Lord of hosts who planted you. Sadly, though he would planted you, he's also going to uproot them. Who planted you has pronounced doom against you for, and the reason because, the evil of the house of Israel and the house of Judah, which they have done against themselves to provoke me to anger in offering incense to Baal. They have done this to themselves. It seems that the people, what would happen is they were, thought, well, as long as I still go to the temple, many of them still offering the sacrifices and thinking, because I, if I do that, that's going to keep me out of trouble. I can live the way life the way I want to live it. And it's a false, very false way of thinking. You think about today when people come to Jesus and you say, come to the Lord, come to Jesus, and they pray this prayer, and which is true. You've got to receive Christ in your life, but there's more than that, is there? I mean, nothing more that you have to do. But just the realization of saying, what does it mean to be born again? Is it just a simple prayer that I go off and live my life the way I want to live in? I've always made that prayer. That's repentance. It's turning. It's, it's agreeing that that isn't the life that I want to live, but the life that I want to live is in Christ. I don't want to live. It's Christ who's died for me. He's given himself for me. So there's just, that's the life I want to live. You know, that's the life that we should be living. And that's the life that a Christian is going to live. And I tell you, you just don't go to the temple or show up on Christmas and Easter and thinking, well, you know, that'll keep me out of trouble. That'll keep me out of hell. And the problem was, they're just going through the motions. These guys are just going through the motions and thinking that, well, I got my stamp card punched and I saw the priest and pastor and hey, he said hi to me, he waved to me, he saw I was there. 
but they're going through the motions. And then they leave the temple, they go back to their pagan ways, and, and they, they never ceased and went back to their wickedness. Listen, the, the, the power that God has to offer to you and I, to anyone out there in the world when they call upon his name, is the power to not live our lives the way that we live them coming to him, but to live them in a powerful way to where God wants to say, look, I'll pour my power upon you. And, and we'll see this on Sunday too. He's saying, you know, that uh, Paul wrote to the um, church in Thessalonica in the second chapter, and, and he tells us in his prayer, he says, uh, therefore, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasures of his goodness and the work of faith with power. I mean, a powerful life that he has for us. A powerful life in the sense that, you know, it overpowers the sin that I was in, the bondage that I was in. And that's what, uh, you know, we don't get that through repetition. Now, remember going up forward, you know, these prayers that you'd go into confessional as a kid and say, our father has been so long since I've sinned, forgive me. And, and he'd go, give me 10 of these and 10 of those. I whipped them out before I got down there. And I knew them by heart, right? But the problem wasn't the, the, the problem was I can say the prayer, but it wasn't, didn't have the power to change. And, and, and it's not about the repetition. It's not about going to this. He says, what has my beloved to do in my house? I mean, you continue to go to the temple, but there's no change. What did Christ die for? So that we would come to him, be forgiven of our sin. He took our penalty upon himself. And from that moment on, there's change that comes, right? We're saved. But there's change that comes in our lives. And he desires that change to come. The children of Judah, just like the children of Israel, they had long rejected him, long rejected his word. And look at verse 18, because uh, Jeremiah, for standing up for all of this, he's going to have his life threatened. It says, now the Lord gave, gave me knowledge of it, and I know it. You showed me their doing, but I was like a docile lamb brought uh, to the slaughter. And I did not know that they had devised schemes against me, saying, let us destroy the tree with its fruit and let us cut him off from the land of the living that his name may be remembered no more. The rebellious wanted to kill the messenger and the message. They, 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 they thought this of Jesus. You kill him, you'll shut it all up. Everybody will be cool. Hoping the message would go away. Verse 20, but O Lord of hosts, you who judge righteously, testing the mind and the hearts, let me see your vengeance on them. For to you, I have revealed my cause. And we can all get to this point, I think, right? Lord, get them. Just, just go get them, Lord. I've been there. And the Lord responds to Jeremiah's plea. We see God's promise to take care of this vengeance to those who um, come against him. And he says in verse 21, Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the men of Anathoth, who seek your life, saying, Do not prophesy in the name of the Lord, lest you die by our hand. They, they Remember they told that to the, the apostles that came out. Don't preach in the name of Jesus anymore. What did they do? Well, I think it's a little better that we obey God and not man, right? I'm going to listen to God. What are you going to do? Take my life? <laughs> Have at it, please. I'll be out of here. I'll be with Jesus. 
But you know what? He says, lest you die by your hand. He says, don't take things in your own hands. He's got this. God has this. We went through this Sunday. Those who bring hardships upon us, don't worry about it. God's got this. Verse 22, thus, uh, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, I will punish them. I mean, here is the Lord's judgment upon those who are coming against the message as well as the messenger. He's got this. The young men shall die by the sword. Their sons and their daughters shall die by famine. And there shall be no remnant of them. For I will, I will bring catastrophe on the uh, men of Anathoth, even the year of their punishment. Anathoth was a city that belonged to the priest. It was the birthplace of Jeremiah. It had some strength to the city. It was seated up overlooking the uh, the valley of the Jordan and the north part of the Dead Sea, about three miles from Israel. But sadly, they're going to suffer disaster because of the opposition to God's message and his messenger. They're not hearing it. They don't want any hearing. And so Jeremiah gets wind of this. Oh, they're coming after me. They're going to kill me. So he calls upon God. Once you take care of this, would you just wipe them out? <laughs> Go after him. And then in chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Righteous are you, O Lord, when I plead with you. Yet let me talk with you about your judgments. Why does the way of your wicked why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why are those happy who deal so treacherously? You have planted them, yes, they have taken root. They grow, yes, they bear fruit. You are near in their mouth, but far in their mind. And so Jeremiah opens with this response to their plot, those who are against him, they want to kill him. And he's not understanding why they're being blessed or seemingly being blessed, right? Why they're prospering. I've thought about this before too, right? I mean, look, at why is evil this is going on? And, and you know, you, you have a tendency to look at why are these people so happy? They're not even walking with the Lord. They're so evil. They're, I mean, just everything that they seem to do. But we have to remember, just because they seem to be getting away with it, they're not going to get away with it forever. And just because they, they have this season where they think they're plenty, they are, they're in a season of plenty, if we can only peer in their hearts and see the misery that they really have. There's a lot of misery. They're really not excited about all this stuff. Maybe some people are bent on being evil and they love it, but there's a lot of pain out there and people cover this up by painting others or hurting others. They cover up the emptiness of their own heart. They cover up the hurt in their own lives. And so Jeremiah is wanting to know, why are they prospering seeing that it's so obvious that they're not living in obedience? Why, why, why? It's like Habakkuk. Why, God? Why are they getting away with this? Why is this? Why are you going to use this chastening rod of the Babylonians? Why? You ever wonder that sometimes? Why? And then look at verse 3. He says, But you, O Lord, know me. You have seen me. You have tasted my heart towards you. Pull them out like sheep for the slaughter and prepare them for the day of slaughter. How long will, you, will the land mourn and the herbs of the field wither? The beast and birds are consumed for the wickedness of those who dwell there because they said he will not see our final end. Remember when we first came to study this book of Jeremiah, he was a young man, he was serving behind the scenes. And, you know, he comes to this place in the ministry, he's called into the ministry, and, and he finds out through time that ministry isn't easy. It's kind of difficult. Being faithful to God, being faithful to the calling that he's placed upon your life. Because you don't run. Hirelings run. 
trouble gets hard, trouble times hit, they run. And even though the times have been difficult for Jeremiah, he's been faithful. But here he's seeing the unrighteous seemingly being blessed, and they're, they're the faithful are seemingly not being blessed. And so he, he's like, what's up with that? I don't understand it. But God never said that that ministry was going to be easy. It, to Jeremiah, it's the same way. Ministry is never going to be easy. Jeremiah, there are ministry. Ministry is hard. It's difficult. And and he goes to Jeremiah. To, he's going to tell him that. Uh, is it, you know, ministry, is it's, it's just not the easiest thing to do. Now, I remember this. I'll never forget. I was driving a 1997 extended cab Nissan pickup that I had. Um, this was probably 20 years ago. And I was driving around the lake and coming back towards the APPW building, looking at the Arco, you know, coming at a little spot in between the hospital and the jogs off. And we were praying about, Lord, would you have us come up here? If you want us to come up here, we'll come up here, start a Bible study. We'll, we'll do whatever you want us to do. And I, I remember this. The Lord very clearly said, yeah, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. And I'll, I remember my response. I'll never forget this. I said, Lord, I will go no matter the difficulties as long as you spare my children and my wife. Put me through anything. I don't care. You spare my children in my life. I'm your man. I mean, I'm not trying to think that I got it all together, but I know that you'll walk me through it all. I'll never forget that as clear as today. But listen, ministry is not always easy because you always have opposition there. And I have to admit there are times when <clears throat> I wanted to take the wicked out or those who caused harm to me or to people in the church. I wanted to take them out. But that's the call of the Lord. And I gotta, I gotta say, it's just not easy. And he's telling it to Jeremiah. Look at verse five, because Jeremiah says that. Now here's the, the God answers him. He says, "If you have run with the footmen, and they have wearied you, then how can you contend with horses? And if in the land of peace in which you trusted they wearied you, and how will you do in the in the floodplains of the Jordan? For even your brothers, the house of your father." Even they have dealt treacherously with you. Yes, they have called a multitude after you. Do not believe them, even though they speak smooth words to you. <laughs> He's saying, you know what? Yeah, ministry's tough and it's not going to get any better. It's not going to get any easier. Warren Worsby on his book on being a servant, on being a leader, excuse me, on being a leader, he says this. It's a book that we have many of our guys reading right now. He says, God was telling Jeremiah that the ministry was going to get harder, not easier. Running on a footpath was one thing, but then to run in the jungles of the Jordan where there was no easy paths and where we might uh, be confronted by ferocious beasts. That's another. He says, that was the bad news. The good news was that he faced these new challenges. As he faced these new challenges, he would draw upon God, give an ability he didn't know he had. The challenges would mature him in his character and his skill. God does not pamper his leaders, but he does test them so he can better equip them. And isn't this true? He has this famous quote, the will of God will never lead us, for the grace of God cannot sustain us and enable us. Isn't that true? Things are hard. God's not going to pamper his leaders. He needs men and women. They're going to stand up, and especially the guys 
We have great women servants here, but the guys, stand up. Stand up. And, and when times are tough, just stand there. Just stay. Walk through these things and let the grace of God, if God has called you, he'll lead you through it. That's a, that's a thing I can just always remember and always count on, God's grace to carry you through, carry me through. And listen, Jeremiah, the ministry you've been called to may be becoming more difficult, but if it's the will of God, you have nothing to worry about. You just go through it. It's all right. And the same is for every one of us. Don't worry about the degree of difficulties. Look to Jesus and that way he'll give you the glory, he'll get the glory in the end. You see, all these false teachers, I think about why do they get, why are they, why are they blossoming? All these things are so messed up. They beat around the important truths to equip the saints for the work of the ministry and all this. Uh, you know, they, they don't seem to, no, they seem to flourish. Why is it that they flourish? And I don't know. But siding with the truth of his word, it can be divisive, even among God's people. I mean, because of the fact that some people aren't taught that way, they don't understand it, they don't... Well, I never thought that before. Well, this is my opinion. Well, what is your opinion when it comes to the Word of God? When the courts of heaven has settled some things that are very clear, we shouldn't be uh, worried about what my opinion is of it. I mean, I love that about the Lord. He settled it. When he said life, he spoke about life where life begins. So on your first birthday, in the womb... Life begins, I, it settles it for me. I don't have to, you can have a PhD, you can have, you can have a PhD of a hundred years in schools. God settled it, that, that God said that settles it. It's just a whole thing, you know, he created man, man and woman. He settled, he settled it, settles it. I mean, it's just plain and simple. We don't, we can go on from there. False teachers often beat around the truths of God's words that do, when, when, when God's people need to be equipped for the work of the ministry. Like I mentioned earlier about the dominion theology. I mean, you know, I, you're saying, well, you don't want to split hairs on, on just anything and everything. But listen, if you're going to vote people in, the motives behind, the, or, or even the church, the leadership, the motives behind that are no longer... Motives that are going to honor the Lord because now you're trying to force something to happen. So theology is so important. And then look at verse 17 because he says, For I have forsaken my house, I have left my heritage, I have given the dearly beloved of my soul into the hands of her enemies. God's going to give them up. He's going to abandon his people. My heritage is to me like a lion in the forest. It cries out against me. Therefore, I have hated it. My heritage is to me like speckled vultures. You know what? They've changed so much. They're more like chameleons. They're like speckled uh, vultures. You know, they, they just hide behind their speckles. They're unrecognizable because of the things that they've done. The vultures all around are against her. Come, assemble all the beasts of the field. Bring them to devour. God wasn't some evil king that just said, you know, I, I'm just going to destroy you. He wasn't, it, it wasn't, I'm going to annihilate you. I'm going to get my kicks out of that. It wasn't, his, it wasn't his game. Rather, he moved, he was moved to abandon and to judge his people because they had moved far from him. They had traveled down the wrong path. And it was this time of chastening where, you know what, you're going to, you've asked for it, you've sown it, and you're going to get what, you, what you've been sowing to. You're going to reap what you've been sowing. And so it says also, the nation had become like a lion who had raised her voice. In verse 8, like a lion in the, for, in the forest. He's just 
arguing or being roaring in opposition is what he's referring to. And in verse 10, he says, many rulers, and this is speaking of the leaders, the spiritual leaders, the shepherds or pastors have destroyed my vineyard. I mean, they should have been looking out and taking care of the people on behalf of God. They, and they, they were, but they were living after the dictates of their own hearts or evil hearts. They should have been taking care of God's people. And they have trodden my portion underfoot. They have made my pleasant portion a desolate wilderness. They have made it desolate. Desolate, it mourns to me. The whole land is made desolate because no one takes it to heart. Remember, everybody is doing their own thing and he's done everything for them. He's, he wanted to bring much fruit in their lives, but they wandered from him and everything else that he had to offer. They, they, they've got these pagan gods in their lives now and they're bringing judgment upon them. In verse 12, he says, the plunderers have come on all the desolate heights of the wilderness for the sword of the, of the Lord shall devour from one end of the land to the other, it's going to be a clean sweep. No flesh shall have peace. And they have sown wheat, but reaped thorns. They have put themselves to pain, but not profit. But be ashamed of your harvest because the fierce anger of the Lord. See, when the Lord tells them he's going to judge them, he's going to devour them. He's going to leave them desolate so that they would they, uh, they, they should have been bringing forth fruit in their lives, but it wasn't the case. It turned far from it. In verse 12, he says again that no flesh shall have peace. There's no hiding in the sand, no running from it, no thinking, I, I can just get away from this. They will reap to that which they have sown. It's just there. And then to close it up in verse 14, look at the, com the, the compassion of God. There's going to be compassion in the end. In verse 14, he says, Thus says the Lord against all my evil neighbors who touch the inheritance, which I have caused my people Israel to inherit. Behold, I will pluck them out of their uh, land and pluck out uh, the house, pluck out of the house of uh, the house of Judah from among them. And then it shall be after I have plucked them out that I will return and have compassion on them and bring them back. Everyone to his to his inheritance and everyone to his land. And it shall be. If they will learn carefully the ways of my people and swear to my name, this would testify of a changed heart, of course, and loyalty to, to the Lord God himself. As the Lord lives, as uh, they taught my people to swear by Baal, then they shall be established in the midst of my people. And if they do not obey, then I will utterly pluck up and destroy the nation. That nation, says the Lord. So here's the Lord again testifying in the end. I'm not going to allow these brutal or allow the brutal nations to judge, be the chastening rod, but I'm also going to judge them for their brutality. And yes, he will judge these nations, but he's later going to have compassion on them. And more, more people uh, than not think that this is during the, the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. But they have to learn. They're going to learn that, you know what, the ways of God's people, the swearing by his name, they're going to be blessed and established. They're going to, it's going to show this turn and testify of this turn. So this compassion, the compassion of the Lord on the, on, on the rebels. Even today we see that. Compassion. God's long-suffering. But it's the same for you and I. It's by grace we have been saved through faith. Not of our works, lest anyone should boast. God still desires to, to uh, you know, save the lost, right? I mean, even to pour out his grace in the day that we live in. And this really reflects on the goodness that you and I have in him. Forever grateful. 
that he's poured out his grace in our lives. And I just want to, I want to close with this, with this idea. We've been focusing on the, you know, and praying for backsliders. But here we see a lot of the servant, Jeremiah, going through the times of difficulty, but still being faithful, still questioning God in some areas, but saying, you know what, Lord, you know, I, uh, I, just, I need your help in this. And then the Lord saying, you know, hey, it's not going to be any easier. And maybe that's you. Maybe you've been going through a hard time. You're, even the time seems to be a little tougher. But just remember that if God is calling you there, that his grace will be sufficient. And it, it, things can get difficult. Things get hard at times, but his grace is sufficient. So we have, yes, we're looking at the backsider, praying for the backsider, but what about us, the servants? What about the servants that God has called in the church? To stand up during a time that we live in. I mean, you look at it out there, it's crazy. I don't even watch the news anymore. Try not to. But you look out there and it's crazy. I mean, just the things that are going on in the world today. And you and I as servants of God, sometimes we need that. Well, we need that renewed hope. We need that renewed passion. We need that renewed, you know, Lord, give me that outpouring of your spirit. I need to have that power. I need it in order for me to be a bright light in this dark world, in that world, the servant, me, I, we need. To go through this Christmas season, shining the light of Christ through. Amen. Shining the light of Christ through our lives. Father, we come and we thank you for your word and your goodness to us. We hope you've enjoyed spending this time in God's Word, and our prayer is that you'll take it with you and apply it to your life. If you'd like to learn more about Calvary Longview, visit our website at cclongview.com. While you're there, you can find more teachings, request prayer, or even find out how you can get involved with what God is doing in our city. We hope you have an amazing day. We'll see you back here next time, and remember, Jesus loves you, and so do we.